Scripture uh, often, uh, can often do more harm than good when they're not given in the context and for the purposes for which they're given. Um, we're going to see, though, that Paul gives these words uh, not to be anxious for a reason. We're going to focus on verses 6 and 7. Uh, verses 4, verse 4 and 5 really go better with the verses Ryan did last week. And you know, sometimes you lay out a book ahead of time. You, you, you see the breaks that they do in, in, the, uh, in your Bible maybe, but when you start reading the text, it may not be the best break. And verse 4 um, speaks of rejoicing in the Lord always. He's coming off the end of what Ryan said last week, of we're going to be a certain type of community, that we're going to love a certain way. And these two ladies who get their names in Scripture uh, can't seem to get it together. And then Paul reminds us that, hey, even in the midst of trouble, no matter what the context, we're to rejoice and then he says, let your reasonableness be known to all. In other words, be gentle and respectful with all. Even when you're dealing with these ladies that can't get it together, let everyone know uh, by the way you love and engage with one another. And there's a kind of a weird in our English translation transition to verse 6, which says, do not be anxious about anything. And so we're going to engage that today. The problem of anxiety, um, it's somewhat of a universal problem. Um, I, I tend myself to run a little anxious uh, the way I'm wired and my own sin uh, moves in the anxiety realm. Some people have uh, anxiety disorders and it's, it's full-blown, there's uh, panic attacks, it's, it's serious. But most of us sort of live with sort of a, a low simmer of what we might call anxiety, where we're afraid, where we're fearful, where we are worried about the unknown, the future. Anxiety is future-oriented. We don't know what will happen tomorrow. So today, we worry and scurry and fear of what it may be. It's the problem. How do you, uh, how do you bring in your groceries? Um, this may sound odd, but w when I go to unload the car of groceries, I... Uh, I don't know if this is like a false masculinity macho thing, but I have the idea that I'm going to bring them all in in one time, right? Like, it just seems unreasonable to take multiple trips, you know? And so if it's, you know, I got like the plastic bags like up the arm going on, right? And it's sort of like a test. It's like, I'm going to take all these in. And if it's a big grocery deal, it's a big deal. And then you got the big awkward boxes, which you might have to come back and get those. But I've got like six bags. And the kids are like, let me help. I'm like, no, I got this. You know, I'm like the Hulk, and then, and then I realize i got to go, you know, down my driveway, like up a few stairs to my porch, in the house, through the living room, dining room, to the kitchen, and I've got these bags. But I'm determined to do this because this is how you bring in your groceries. I don't know about paper. I don't, we don't get paper, so that's another story. But I'm carrying the bags. I'm going, and, and this has happened to me on a number of occasions. Maybe it has to you. And I'm, I'm, I'm making the, the journey into uh, to the, the, the kitchen to feel rewarded by carrying all of these things and then the bag starts to rip you know what I'm talking about like the, the guy didn't double bag you know the milk or the canned goods and so it's a little too heavy and so it starts to rip and I'm going and, but like now a reasonable person like say my wife would like stop and put the bags down and then proceed with what she could carry and come back and get the bags that's not what I do well, I don't know what you do, but now it's even more of a task. Now I've got to move fast, but also with some kind of, you know, uh, some kind of control, because if I move too fast, it's going to rip, and then the eggs are going to be on the floor. It's going to be bad, so I've got to complete this task to feel good about myself. It's sort of I can't let the groceries win kind of thing going on. 
Uh, I don't know if you've experienced this. This is my way of doing things. Um, but the bag starts to rip, and what do you do? Do you put them down? Do you take a time out? Do you gather yourself? Do you, you know, admit defeat and make multiple trips? Or do you keep pressing on and make it happen, you know, and try not to crush the, the bread in the process? Anxiety is kind of like that bag-ripping part. Uh, follow me. It, it's this part where you, you feel the rip. You feel something's not right. It's not happening. And it's sort of a warning to us, a stop. Take inventory. You're not going to make it to the kitchen. Um, life's a little bit out of control. And, and anxiety can get worse and worse as that plastic uh, you know, expands. Uh, and you can stop. And regroup, take a deep breath and gather. Paul's going to say, go to the Lord in prayer. Or you can press on and continue to make it. And you've got to do it and struggle through it and fight through it. And that's anxiety. Um, all good analogies, even my very poor analogies, break down at some level. Because anxiety is not just a, a warning sign, though it is. It's actually something we're commanded not to do in general. To be anxious. Paul says very clearly in verse 6, Do not be anxious for anything. It seems impossible. We're anxious for almost everything. We live in one of the most anxious ages of all time. We have great health care. We have great resources. We have more clothes than we need. We have stockfuls of, of food and refrigerators. We have almost everything. We're in the safest country possible of all times, despite what you hear on the news. And yet we're so anxious. Remember, my older sister, and she had a biopsy and was waiting to hear back from the doctor whether it was cancerous or not. And it was, she was supposed to hear Wednesday at 1 o'clock. And for a couple days, she was anxious. And then 1 o'clock came on Wednesday, and she still hadn't heard from the doctor. And it was 1.15, it was 1.30. And I remember being with her, and like every minute seemed like 60 minutes, you know. Just so much anxiety. Am I going to hear what's the news going to be? Just eat up with this angst. Or you hear works cutting back. And you know, maybe it's your department. You've underperformed. Is it going to be you? Are you going to be a part? And so you, you know this is out there. It's a future thing. And so it's looming. And so you just eat up with anxiety. Or your kids, are they going to turn out? Whatever we think they're supposed to turn out. Smart or athletic or spiritually mature and we're afraid, we're anxious. Or maybe it's a new school year, kids, right? Maybe you start school tomorrow or the next day or last week, I don't know, and you're afraid. It's a new class. Maybe you move from elementary to middle school. It's a new teacher. It's a new group of kids. Am I going to fit in? Are they going to like me? Am I going to be an outsider? Am I going to make connections? And so we're anxious. We're troubled. Millennials, which is a good portion of our church, uh, ages 23 to 38, interesting enough, um, are some of the most anxious among us. I read another article this week. 25% of millennials are uh, chronically lonely uh, and anxious. And many depressed, if not clinically, chronically, at least circumstantially depressed. Um, they're anxious. Anxious about being single? Well, I'll be single forever. 
Will anyone like me, find me attractive? Anxious. We worry about almost anything. We worry about our parents that are aging, maybe. We worry about our health, our finances. We worry about our own identity. Am I enough? Do I make a difference in the world? Do I matter? Is all this school have any payoff, any benefit? We worry and worry and worry and worry and worry. Paul says you shouldn't worry. He's really quoting Jesus. Jesus says in uh, Matthew, 20, uh, Matthew 6, verse 25, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you would eat or what you would drink, or about your body, what you would put on. Is not your life more than food and your body more than clothing? It goes on to verse 27. And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his lifespan? In other words, what's your anxiety producing? Nothing. In fact, health studies say it's actually killing you. right? Higher blood pressure, a lack of sleep. It's actually taking away from your health. And he, Jesus is saying it's not going to add anything. He goes on and 634, therefore do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Don't be anxious. But most of us aren't trying to be anxious, right? That's kind of the problem. (laughs) It's not like, yeah, I want to wake up and I want to be anxious today. I want to fear all the things in my day and then tomorrow I can't wait to be anxious. We're trapped in it. We're engulfed in anxiety. So that's the question. What do we do with our worry? Before we look at what Paul says to do, what do you do with your worry? What do you do with your anxiety? Take, take a stock inventory of yourself right now. When you're super stressed or you're anxious, what do you do? There are some healthy things we can do, like maybe work out or eat, eat better, take some deep breaths. Most of us don't do that. Most of us eat too much, binge out on Netflix or social media, or drink, or go shopping, or look at things online we shouldn't, or you name it, gamble, or overwork, or overwork out, or and we get creative in what we do with anxiety. We, we feel it, it's there, we know it's there, and then we look for almost every way to escape it, to do something with it. Paul says it's a struggle. Uh, It's commanded not to do it because we're all struggling with it. But there's another way. And here's the solution. It's the solution Paul gives, uh, and it comes with a promise. Verse 6, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. First command, do not be anxious. Second command, let your request be, net, be known to God. So when the bag starts to rip, don't keep pushing on and try to do more and more, or don't run to these other avenues to try to, to deal with it. Actually stop and let your request be known to God. Take it to the Lord, he says. Take it in prayer. What do we take to prayer? Everything. That means the small things, the big things, the intermediate things. Take everything to God in prayer. Here, the language of prayer and supplication and requests. Sometimes we want to break out. This is this type of prayer, and this is the, the 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 point is general. When you're anxious, 
and you all struggle to be, that's why I'm giving you command not to be, Paul says. When you are, go to prayer. Tell God your problems. Tell Him your struggles. Oh yeah, and then do it with thanksgiving. So there's another part in there. You're going to request, and you're going to have thanksgiving. Now, is that new to anyone? Like, even if you're not churched or religious, like, if you, if you came tonight and I said, we're going to talk about anxiety and the solution, you would have probably said prayer would have been one of those answers, right? Like, no one knew, oh, prayer, that's it. Shoot, I forgot, I'm supposed to pray. Man, I'm glad you said that. I've been a Christian for 27 years. I didn't know prayer was what you were going to say, right? We all know that's what we're supposed to do. Even in any, any religion, they would probably say that. Maybe it wouldn't, it certainly wouldn't take the form of praying uh, to, to Jesus or through Jesus to the Father, but it would involve prayer. Um, so the problem's not that we don't know we need to pray. The problem is that uh, we have obstacles with prayer. Something about prayer we bump into and we resist it, and so we don't do it, and we'd rather live in our anxiety, or maybe we wouldn't rather, but we choose to live in our anxiety. And I know there are degrees. I want to be careful. There are other things that can help anxiety. Medications can help, and certainly exercise. Things of caring for the body can help. But in general, we live in an anxiety rather than going to God in prayer with our anxiety. Why don't we? That's what I want to talk about in the next few minutes. Why don't we go to God with our anxiety? Verse 7, the promise says this, And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Four things, four reasons why we don't pray in our anxiety. The first, we don't really believe in prayer. And that's Christian, non-Christian alike. We don't really believe it. Or, or maybe we believe it. We're very skeptical about it. Maybe we, you know, maybe we pray before a meal because it's a habit. Or maybe, you know, I grew up like playing sports, and so it's like, We'd put our hand in before the game. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. You, know, you kind of do this thing. You pray. Um, it's kind of like the lucky rabbit's foot. It didn't really matter what religion you are, but if you do that, maybe the God gods will lean in your favor and you'll get the win. Um, um, but we really are skeptical about prayer that it actually works or it's effective. Um, it says here in verse 7, the promise says, so we pray, make a request known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding. Surpasses all understanding. What does that mean? It means it's beyond the rational mind. It means uh, it's beyond what we can just think. It's, we're actually stopping, and we're going to go to God with our prayers. It's not natural. But we like natural. We like solutions. We like to think it out. We like to figure it out. We have so much data. We have so much resources. If we have a problem right now, we can find out. In fact, we have one of those Alexa things, you know, and you can be doing anything and just be like, hey, Alexa, you know, how many, uh, you know, soldiers were killed in the War of 1812, you know, and she'll say, oh, there were whatever number. She just spits it out. Like instant data on the spot, natural mind. In this moment, I can get almost any information I want. But Paul says in prayer, it surpasses understanding. So that it supersedes. It's beyond that. And, we, and t- typically, the more educated we are, the more we resist anything of the supernatural. In fact, in our circles, particularly academic circles, we're kind of kooky if we believe in the supernatural. 
Well, prayer, by definition of Paul here, is supernatural. It's saying, I've reached a limit. My rational mind can't quite grasp it. So I've got to now go above the line, the, the, creator, crea- the creator creation distinction, and go to God with prayer. And we don't really like that. We don't really know about that. That seems kind of kooky. We don't want to be talking to, to Thor and these extreme Muslims doing this. We don't, we're a very smart, intellectual people. And so prayer, by very definition, is a barrier. It's a barrier. We're skeptical of it. Prayer, um, anxiety, uh, is primarily about control. It's about control. And so when we feel anxious, uh, we try to do this and manage it. We try to get control back. Well, what is that relying on yourself to gain control? Prayer, by definition, is putting the bag down and being literally out of control, which we never were to begin with. God and His sovereignty is in control. And so it's really the hardest thing to do because you're anxious, which means you're trying to rely on self, and so now you're trying to find resources to figure it out because you do it everywhere else in life, you figure it out. You have to stop being in control to go to God, Paul says. But if we go to Him, we feel that anxiety and we can stop and say, I'm going to tell the Lord about this. It's, it's beyond my comprehension. I don't really get this, but I'm going to make my request known. God says there's a promise that the peace of God will attend to us. We don't like being out of control. It takes faith to trust Him. That's one reason. We're skeptical of prayer in general. We don't believe it. Second thing, reason we struggle to pray is that um, we don't really believe God's committed to us. I mean, we know that maybe from church, but we don't believe He cares about us in some way. Either our prayers are too small and too silly, or too, our worries are too small and too silly, or we just think, you know, God's not concerned. I mean, we, we think of God in human terms, and so... You know, we're limited. We have resources. We have to decide today and tomorrow we will what we can accomplish in that day. And so we have a priority list of what's most important. And so we impose that upon God. And so we're like, there's a lot of things out there. I mean, that's a big world, a lot of problems. And God's sort of, well, I can take care of that today. I can probably wait till tomorrow. Eh, it's not that big a deal. We think God is like us because we're limited. We're finite. I'm, I'm reminded of that every time I happen to go to an emergency room. Do you know in emergency rooms they have a waiting room? You ever thought about that before? The emergency waiting room. You think about that for a second? A little ironic. Like, so when you're there, you have to be worse off than the person next to you or you will be there forever, right? Just say it's your heart and you normally get back there quicker. But you're in an emergency room and you have to be worse than the other person or you're going to be waiting in an emergency Why? Because we're people, and we're limited, and we have to make decisions and pick and choose, and we think God somehow is is bound by the same devices, and he's got to, like, weigh if mine's more important or his, or does he have enough ability? He surely couldn't care about my first day of school. That's kind of petty. Cancer, he might care about that. We live in these ways. But here it says, this is great, the promise the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. We think it's about um, God's desire or his willingness. It's really not. 
God's committed to care for us. Did you know that? It says we are in Christ Jesus, which means God has pledged his faithfulness to us. It's not even does he love us. He does love us. He has bound himself, the biblical word is covenant, to do what he said he would do. And so if God doesn't take care of us, if God doesn't care for us, he has violated his own character. God is unjust if he doesn't hear and care about our prayers. Did you know that? So when you pray, it's not just I pray because God cares me. I pray because God has made a contract, we call it a covenant, to actually care for us. And it says that, it says, he will guard our hearts and mind. That language of guarding is the idea of a soldier who guards the headquarters and protects. And here he says, God will guard us. He will fight for us. He will hold. He will protect. It's not just like if he feels like it. It's like he is pledged to do that for our good. In Christ Jesus. We are in Him. We belong to Him. We are secured by Him. He is the, our, our uh, you know, our soldier, or the bodyguard. And it says when we pray, we pray with thanksgiving because He's going to guard us. We're asking for Him to guard us, which He's already pledged to do. And so we stop while we're asking for Him to guard us again because we know that's what He always does. So we say, oh, I'm asking you again, but let me remember to thank you because you did it yesterday and the day before and the day before and the day before. And my character is very fickle and I change and I'm faithful sometimes and not other times, but you're always faithful. And you've pledged your faithfulness in Christ by the cross to care for us in yourself Every day, all the time, big and small. And so we feel the bag ripping, we feel the anxiety, and we say, oh, I can stop because God's promised himself both he's done it in the past and will in the future to care for me. And so let's take a deep breath and let's make our request known. He's pledged it to us. Third reason we struggle with prayer um, is that we don't understand the purpose of prayer. It's not just that we're skeptical in general or, you know, we don't know God's commitment, but we actually don't know the purpose of prayer. Um, we think prayer is about the prayer. But prayer is not really about the prayer, you know. I mean, it is about the prayer. In other words, we think I'm praying now in my anxiety and the, f- the main purpose is to tell God this thing so that he can deal with this thing which is a part of it, and James tells us that the prayer of a righteous man, those in Christ, are, are powerful, that God hears us, and God interacts, and he, he cares to work in our needs, particular needs, but prayer is not primarily about that need. Prayer is not about the prayer. Prayer is not about, because we think, I have a difficulty, I have some pain, I'm going to pray, and they're going to bring relief to that, but actually when we're praying, we're actually bidding God to reveal to us, to show us his great care for us, that he will do what's best for us. Because that's ultimately what we need. Uh, We think prayer is about us asking God to bend his will to what we desire. But really it's about us, in praying to God, our will gets bent and shaped around his desire, around his heart. John Stott says this, A Christian's freedom from anxiety is not due to some guaranteed freedom from trouble. 
Freedom from anxiety is not because we're going to get away from this trouble that we're praying about, but to the folly of worry and especially to the confidence that God is our Father. That even permitted suffering is within the orbit of His care. Did you hear that? We're praying so that we will know the peace of God that even in the permitted, even though He's allowing, even though in many ways purposing these difficult trials, He cares for us. Because if it was only about this concern, we have those every day, right? We have ten of those today. We'll have more tomorrow. If it's only about the next concern, we actually miss the point of the relationship with God. And the promise here is that we make these petitions and the peace of God comes. When we pray, our hearts are reassured that God cares. And so we sort of take a collective like sigh of relief, like, okay, my circumstances haven't changed. I'm scared to death about tomorrow or about the news or about my loneliness. But there's peace. God's pledged it. He said he would be there. And he brings peace. Let me tell him. Maybe the first time, maybe the 5,000th time, let me tell him. His peace attends to us and comforts us. Psalm 131.2 is a prayer and says this, I have stilled and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child is my soul within me. Do you hear the peace and the rest? That's the antithesis of anxiety, right? Anxiety is this monster churning within us. When we take it to the Lord, He brings this calm and the peace. Paul's been after that this whole time, right? We've been talking about joy this whole book. Peace and joy, they're, they're two sides of the coin. They're, they're brothers or something. They're connected. And they're this deep place within us that surpasses uh, the moment, the context, the circumstances. It's a deep place where Jesus rests with us. And in that place, we can have peace. We can have joy no matter what we're experiencing. Paul is in prison. And he knows the peace and joy of God. There's three. We have one more. Three reasons why we, we don't we struggle to pray. We, we've first we've been co-opted our minds by the secular age, and so we don't even believe in supernatural. So it just feels weird. Um, we don't actually know the gospel that God's pledged to be faithful. He's pledged to hear us. Um, And we don't even know the purpose. We think it's primarily about the need. It's about the need, but it's about more. But finally and, and quickly, we don't understand the difficulty of prayer. Um, uh, one of the reasons we don't pray, and, and one of the reasons I struggle in prayer, or is I, I think like prayer is supposed to be easy. Like you got a problem, you just pray. If I got a problem, I call a friend or text, and I get an answer. But God, it's this relationship. And there's a gap between who I am and my own sin and who he is. And so it's just hard. And some of you would say, like, I try, it just doesn't happen. Like, I feel like, like I'm offline, you know. There's no connection. Lord, what are we doing here? I'm going through another day. It's hard. It's difficult. Austin Phelps, in his book, The Still Hour, speaking about the, the difficulty of prayer, he says this. I think it's up there. Is it up there? Maybe next one. There you go. 
The first thing we learn attempting to pray is, that our, is our spiritual emptiness. And this lesson is crucial. We are so used to being empty that we do not recognize the emptiness as much until we start to pray. We didn't even know we were empty, and we pray. We're like, man, I don't even have any connection. It's like we're so, we haven't, yeah, we don't even know. And then he goes on to say, but as we begin to pray, as we begin to read the Bible, he talks about content of knowing God and prayer. We finally begin to feel lonely and hungry. That's a good sign. It's an important first step to fellowship with God, but it's a disorienting one. So if we don't regularly pray or we struggle to pray, when we go back to prayer, it's difficult and hard because there's a gap. We're not used to it. And we've lived anxious so long, we don't even know we're anxious. We've lived hungry so long, we don't even know what it's like to have a meal. As C.S. Lewis says, we, we've eaten slum, you know, mud pies for so long, we don't even know what a banquet's like. And so we go to prayer and we're so distant and we don't even know. It's hard. And it is hard. And so it takes work. It takes small baby steps. If you haven't worked out in a year, you know, don't go to boot camp class for an hour, right? Like, do like 10 minutes or 15 minutes. The muscles aren't used to it. Our prayer muscles are not used to praying, many of us, and so we've got to be retrained in what it means. But if the anxiety is bad enough, we'll come back and pray. You know when our country prays, when like tragedy hits? Uh, statistics say, I think, 30% of atheists said that they, in a poll, said that they prayed after 9-11. Think about how ironic that is. Atheists don't believe in God, but 30% of them prayed when uh, 9-11 happened. Right? Uh, the whole, there, there's no atheists in foxholes, right? You've heard that, that quote. When you're being shot at, God's real all of a sudden. And so when it gets bad enough, we will cry out. We will hit the ground. In fact, if not in this life, in the end, we will all bend the knee and we will confess and we will pray. But what Paul says is this. Don't be anxious. Like, as you feel the, the bag ripping, stop, Christian believer. There's peace. There's a deep place where Jesus meets us and he speaks to us. And like a, a child, he, he, he cradles us until the anxiety goes away. We've got to come to Him. We've got to make our requests known. It, it's not easy to do. I'm not saying it's easy. Um, but we live in an anxious age. And guess what? It's not going to be any less. It's only going to be more. But what's greater than the anxiety of our age is the faithfulness of our God. And the problem is anxiety. But the solution is that we pray. And the promise is that God will give us His peace. Peace that we can't rationally maybe understand that his peace will come when we pray let's do that right now let's pray jesus we need uh extra measure of grace uh 